Blog Talk Radio. Director of FedShip's Royal DeVries Yard. Now, in case you weren't aware, Royal is a designation granted to a limited number of companies in Holland, indicating 100 years or more of consecutive operations. But what you probably are aware of is that Hank is one of a few generations of DeVries family members who have contributed to the yard's success. While Royal DeVries is known mostly for traditional-looking custom yachts, in recent years, some launches, notably the aggressive-looking Predator, have shown a new side to the yard. In addition, a few years ago it added a semi-custom series, the SL39, to the mix. All of this, plus a dedicated facility for refits, allows it to successfully blend many different aspects of the yacht business. So let's get started. Hank, welcome to Mega Yacht News Radio. Hello, hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How about you? Good, good, good. Good, glad to have you here. Uh, why don't we jump straight in? Um, Friendship has long been thought of as being a traditional builder, launching traditional-looking yachts, in other words. But in some of the more recent years, there have been projects like Predator and even to some degree Wedge 2 that really were anything but traditional. So mm-hmm. obviously you build what the clients want, but were you surprised at all to be appro- to be approached for something that radically different? Uh, actually, uh, the Predator came about uh, because we proposed the concept to the client, Ah, so, okay. in that, so, in, so in that sense, that sounds like a little bit conflicting uh, with the image that we are traditional. I think, I think the image that we are traditional has more to do with the fact that we have so much output. Uh, over the years, let's say from the, from the early 80s until, uh, until late 90s, on average, we would produce about four boats a year. And uh, I would say that at least three out of those four would be classical boats simply because that has more appeal in the marketplace and most people are not that mold breaking in approach um, and that means that that if you look at the, uh, the the number of boats produced it looks like we are willing only to do classical but i think it has more to do with with the fact that the the, the group of shipyards is rather large and we have a rather large output but we've also always built uh, different objects. I mean, in the early 80s, it was already the gallant lady boats, which were at that time by far the biggest sport fishing yachts ever created. And uh, then we built for the Ascarga family in Mexico, uh, that was also late 70s, early 80s, uh, very strange looking, all aluminum boats to John Bannenberg design. So I would say through the years, we've had different things. Mm-hmm. What I also think is the fact that the market is much more transparent now, mainly because of the Internet. People have much more access to uh, funky-looking fetchup designs, and, and, yeah, those are more exciting than more traditional ones, at least to the peer group and to the outside world. So that means those things get noticed in forums and people post pictures to each other, so you get a lot more exposure about posts like that. So that probably explains it a little bit. Probably, probably. You know, no. you just mentioned um, some some more funky-looking designs. Um, you know, in looking at some of the recent launches worldwide, 
Um, it seems that in general terms, owners are, are asking for even more customized and more individualized touches. Is, is that what you're sensing too from the marketplace? Yeah, we made an analysis of that in the second half of the 90s when Fetchy was contemplating to expand into larger boats because we were getting uh, competition mainly from northern Germany from other yards that had bigger facilities than we did. And uh, it, it, in our opinion, and looking back, I think that, that analysis was probably correct. In our opinion, it had a lot to do with the fact you enter into a new millennium. The first couple of boats we signed up in the early millennium were extremely traditional, sort of harking back to the glorious days of yachting in the 20s and 30s of the 20th century. But after that, you start looking towards the future, and indeed people are a little bit liberated from, from archetypal thinking of what a boat should look like. And you have to realize at precisely that time, the first few years of the 21st century, uh, young Russian clients came into the market not at all hindered by conventions and with a lot of money to spend. So, so that, that was also part of the driving factor in, 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 in very unorthodox designs. Now we are in the process of, of, of trying to come to terms with the global crisis that by nature makes people more conservative, more careful. So if I look at what we are currently developing and working on the drawing boards, is a little bit more traditional than it's been the past years. But some of the cool features of, 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 of the innovative designs are now incorporated into more classical designs. So, so we're, we're, we're in for an interesting period. Hmm, good, good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So give us, give us an overview of the projects that you presently have under construction. What's launching later this year and into the early part of next year? Uh, we are launching uh, in, uh, in, in a few weeks a, a 65 meter very high volume boat with uh, an innovative outside style and very, very traditional but super high end interior. Uh, for those in the know, the interior, uh, as far as complexity or richness goes, can be compared to Siran, which was never publicized, but many people know of it. Um, then, in the beginning of next year, we have a 54-meter. In the meantime, we will be launching the third boat in our SL39 semi-standard series, which is contrary to the first two, a project that we started on spec and that is for sale. That should be finished this winter. And then towards the end of next year, we are launching a 63-meter, very modern style, but recognizably totally as a fed ship, based upon the 55-meter twizzle, which a lot of people liked that we delivered a few years ago. After that, we have an 82-meter coming out of the Aalsmeer Yard. Uh, I'll come to Markham in a moment. And after that, we have a 67. And after that, we have several things I cannot talk about. Mm-hmm. Then in Markham, we have just delivered a 75-meter uh, Ocean Victory, which has been reaching the magazines and the Internet by now. And the first boat out of there uh, after that is... Early in the middle of next year, an 88 meter with uh, a similar looking 88 meter coming out a year later, and the final delivery in Macam is for early 2013 for a 99 meter striking mm-hmm. off the wall, incredible thing. So, 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 and all those contracts, by the way, are paid for, and the clients are still paying the bills. So I'm 
not unhappy in today's day. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, science yeah, paying bills is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. With yeah, you know, with all these boats, uh, you're you're mentioning some of the designs being more radical and the interiors being very different and very striking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what about carbon footprints? There's so much talk these days about carbon footprints. Are you finding that the owners and maybe even the crews are a little more environmentally minded? You know, are they yep. asking for systems that are going to yep. be a little yep. bit more eco-friendly? Yeah, uh, the, 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 the obviously easiest things to tackle are uh, exhausts from from the diesel fumes and uh, and and the exhausts from the people in in, in the waste management. Uh, and yes, we we are addressing that everywhere. Some owners are are more conscious than others, and and one particular project we have underway will, by the time it's finished, be publicized as the greenest stretchship to date, uh, because that's a conscious effort from the client. Uh, but still, yeah, the most fuel-efficient and cleanest boat is, of course, a sailboat, and unfortunately, we do not build those. Right, so, right. So, so, the, so the easiest clean boat you can publish is a boat with a stick on it, and yeah, if you don't have that, you have to look for alternative things in new technology. Uh, we have been quite extensively researching um, fuel cells and uh, superconductive electromotors uh, driving pots on, on, on one of the yachts that we are currently working on. But that was still a bit too soon. However, some of that thinking is going to be shown at the Monaco and Fort Lauderdale boat shows in our new concept boat, which will be called E.ON. That's A-E-O-N. Uh, and that boat has some, some extremely radical things in there that are currently available in the market as technology, hmm. but uh, for now cannot be applied. If somebody would order the Eon on the spot, we would have a hard time building it for him, but that's precisely the idea of a concept. So, yes, it is definitely an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the common footprint of production goes, that is a thing of constant investment in in, in all three Fedship shipyards. So, uh, yeah, and, and we are forced to look at that by legislation in Holland, of course, and Holland is a very clean country. And by the same token, uh, we feel it also our responsibility to look at that. So, so it is playing it is playing a role. It is not dominant at the moment. I am still in the process also of developing gas guzzling monsters with enormous fuel consumption simply for the joy of high speed. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, those are technical technological challenges that you like to look at. But I would say that an interesting development is going back to Predator for a moment. I realize I'm all over the place again, again. sorry. But, <laughs> no uh, <worries. laughs> but anyway, the nice thing about Predator, that hill was developed to make the boat go fast. But if you take that approach and put it in a boat that is somewhat lighter in construction and do it to make something that's extremely efficient, those hill shapes allow you to go very efficiently. And I'm very pleased that some of my uh, main colleagues in the, in the business are also presenting and developing boats with similar hull concepts. And because we have done one already and have developed it a little bit further, I'm pretty sure that we will be able to remain at the forefront. Lighter construction, super efficient hulls, and then stick smaller motors in. That means that you get the possibility not only to use less diesel in a conven- conventional propulsion train, but that also the Electromotor principle and looking at, uh, at, at, at alternative power sources becomes more achievable because in more modest powers, that technology is already there. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. Now, you know, one of the things I've heard um, in reference to fuel cells in particular is it, they're exceedingly expensive to apply to, a, to the yacht world, just to, just to apply to something outside of the realm of what they're already being applied to. Is that something that you are monitoring? Is that something that you think other yacht yards are monitoring as well? Uh, they are expensive, but uh, cost is not typically a thing that's holding a yacht owner back. Uh, I recall when I was just a boy when 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 uh, satellite communication first came in in vogue, uh, long before it was installed on cruise ships and on super tankers, it was installed on yachts. Our Daria, which was built in '78, had a dome that was the same size as at the time what the British, what the uh, Dutch Navy was using, and was considered very avant-garde and very new. So so the cost in itself is not holding people back. What held us back was not the cost on that particular project, but simply the fact that the scale of the units is very small, so you need a lot of them, mm. and the logistics of getting your hydrogen on board or create a power plant that is clean to make hydrogen out of the water. And, and, and that technology is still relatively young. Oh, okay. So what we are monitoring is not so much the cost of it. What we are monitoring is whether whether uh, universities and research institutes are in the process of coming up with with, with solutions that make it more easy to apply. Mm -hmm. And indeed, we have constant communication with with the main research institutions, and we actually have workshops for students, and we sometimes give lectures that 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 the professors can reflect on what what the industry is looking for. Yeah. Mm. Good, good. Okay. Now let's talk about the SL39 uh, for mm -hmm. a few minutes. When you introduced that series a few years ago, there were some people who were surprised that FedShip would enter what they considered the production boat world. How right. did you counter that impression that, that in, in their view, was a negative, that you were changing gears and doing production boats? Well, first of all, they were never production boats, and the easiest way to explain that is tell people to look at the price. Uh, they're still vastly more expensive than any production boat out there simply because they are built in a more clever fashion but still using 100% of all the fetch ship technology. There were three reasons why we started with the SL39. And uh, the first reason was to not lose touch with the market around the 130, 120 feet mark because we ran the risk of being uh, defined as the ultimate yard builder in the 200 to 250 foot range, and that's not what you want. And that has paid off because if I look at my order book at the moment, we just delivered the 53 meter. We're in the process of delivering a 54, and we are talking to several customers in the in the let's say 45 to 50 meter range, who probably would not have given us a telephone call had we not had the SL39 and also the F45 at Van Lent. Um, the second reason why we did it is that if you have a purely custom-built operation and people with, with, with nothing but custom-built wiring in their brain in management and in production, you tend to build whatever the client wants, but to forget a little bit what it takes to get there. And with ESL, we had to reprogram our thinking, at least for a group of people in our company, to look also intelligently not only at the materials you use, the equipment you buy, but also at the actual process of getting there. So the second reason to start a series was to make people very aware of cost of materials and cost of, of individualizing. Wonderful example, typical FedShip example, 
is uh, when you talk about hatches in a bulwark. It sounds very technical and boring, but you have a bulwark that's hollow, you want to use a storage space inside. If you think that through, totally custom, you make for each individual location an individual hatch. That is not so cheap. It is much more cost-effective and it doesn't sacrifice any quality if you define your standard hatch, or maybe two or three, which is what we ended up doing, and say, okay, this is it. And use the know-how that you've developed on how to develop smart things of super high quality of the SL series. So that is the background of the series. How did we counter the skepticism in the marketplace? Simple. My number one was a totally custom-built project for the first client because we waited, or not waited, you never wait in this business, we harassed the first client until he said, okay, I'm willing to order a boat from you. And then together with him, we defined the template. So his boat was extremely custom. But okay, it was then decided it was the first of the series. The second one, we laid the keel without a customer, but very quickly somebody jumped in and came up with his own design and his own interior, and that, that emphasized the uniqueness of the series. Both boats are sailing out there. Ocean Mercury looks very different from Kathleen Ann. And the number three, which still is for sale and will be on display at the boat shows, is again different from those, both in the exterior as well as in the interior. So by doing that, you're saying, no, 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 this is not a production boat. This is simply a platform we, def we uh, provide that a client that wants a boat of, re of decent dimensions for a decent price with a fat ship sticker on it to create his own thing. And we give him some limitations, but hey, that comes with the territory. If you want total custom, you pay a lot more, and we can still do that also. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You know, with the SL39s and, and even the fully custom yachts, obviously you're dealing with clientele who have put their minds to it and said, I'm going to buy this boat. They, you know, they have funds. It's uh, fluctuations in the economy don't typically, you know, make them change their minds. But a lot of that, as far as uh, a lot of shipyards I've spoken to, a lot of that has really gone out the window over the past year because of the global mm -hmm. economic depression, mm -hmm. really, you know, a mm -hmm. recession mm -hmm. bordering on depression in some respects. Um, has that affected your shipyard? And you know, when did you sign your last contract? December of last year, in the middle of the crisis. Yeah. We signed a contract for a 67 meter. Um, and currently we are talking to a few people, but a lot less than, let's say, a year and a half ago. The main uh, challenge for us, fortunately, uh, Fetchip has a, an extremely good order book, had an extremely good order book going into the crisis, and the order book is still healthy. Mm -hmm. However, if we, for another year, do not sell anything, then we have to start scratching our heads. But for the moment, uh, we it, it looks like we'll be able to sell through. I personally think that the crisis in our part of the business is at least going to last until next summer, simply because of the enormous supply of on speculation built boats, clients defaulting. There are so many boats out there on the market, either very new secondhand or boats still coming out of shipyards without an owner looking for a buyer, that, that the buyers are just sitting and waiting and taking their pick. And yeah, to go into a new construction project in that market, you have to be extremely convinced of what you want is not available in the marketplace. Fortunately, there are always, I would say, at least a dozen people out there who are still talking. And the nice thing for Fedship, because we've been around so long and because we're financially stable, 
is that people, when they tend to get a little bit more conservative and a little bit less adventurous, also looking at shipyards, that is a good thing for us. So, so the, the few people out there still uh, looking to buy something of a new construction nature, most probably are all talking to us. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, with the boat shows coming up uh, within the next several weeks, really, um, how much does that play into the the temperature, so to speak, that you can see? Um, uh, you know, the temperature of the industry. Do you do you put a lot of value into the boat shows as far as yes. what you anticipate? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, 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 I mean, you can you can read analysis and and and, and reports. And, re- and reviews and interviews and internet stories, but uh, it is a, a, a people-to-people direct marketing business. So the proof will be in the pudding how many people are walking around in Monaco, and it is not so relevant if industry people are telling each other that everything is fine or if industry people are telling each other over drinks that everything is horrible. Uh, it will be very important to watch what actual buyers clients are going to do when they walk around these boat shows. So yes, for me, the, the, the measuring stick of the actual temperature of the industry or the thermometer or whatever you want to call it is indeed what goes on on the docks and in the booths and in the boats in Monaco and Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things some of the shipyards have expressed um, to me is that refits are becoming an increasingly more important, more important part of their business. Yep. You know, you've been you've been offering refits for some time. Um, yep. rem- remind me when you acquired the facility in Malcolm for this. Two thousand five. So it's four years ago. Okay, and about how many refits ago. have been performed there so far? Well, the moment we bought the yacht, we already had the contract for a huge refit on Siran. She was in there almost a year. Uh, in the meantime, we sold Utopia, and did a refit on that, sort of uh, in between. <laughs> And uh, then when Siren went out, our good old ship Aurora came in uh, for also almost a year. And uh, we just said goodbye. Oh, no, I forget one. Then we had the original Migea, which came in for a, a total makeover. Um, what's that boat called now, Joker? Migea, I think. Inevitable. Oh, right, right, inevitable, right. Inevitable. She was in also for for the better part of the year, and we just waved goodbye to uh, our old uh, White Rabbit Bravo, which uh, was now called, shoot, Pegasus. So so the, the, the refit facility has been constantly filled. Uh, and the reason we did it, uh, as I told you at the time, Dan, was, was because we decided to go carefully into Macam and do only one huge project at a time because we were just getting started in that part of the market and you can only grow so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so naturally you will have dips in your capacity utilization and we were f- planning on filling those dips with refit work and we've been extremely successful in doing that and indeed we figured that uh, as our boats get between 10 and 20 years old it's worthwhile to drive them back to Holland and uh, have them refitted at the shipyard that originally built them. So we see indeed that thinking confirmed. Right, right. And, and in, in, in an economic uh, not-so-good time, the, the knife cuts both ways. First of all, you can buy an older second-hand boat cheaper because there is more supply. 
And secondly, it is worthwhile because, especially with Fetchip with long order books, if you are in love with the idea of recreating a classic and making it up to date, you buy for a relatively good price an older boat, stick it in the yard, still have it out in the year, and having spent a lot less money than if you would have built a new one. Right. So there you go. Yep. Right. Yeah, let's talk about Pegasus for a minute since that boat was just recently at the facility. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what were some of the things that the owner wanted when he approached you, and, and about how long did everything take to complete? The whole project was about nine months. Uh, the main thing was that, that uh, the original owner of Pegasus wanted something with a maximum length at the time, under 50 meters, and, and still want a huge volume, especially in that day and age. Nowadays, you see more uh, ugly things with bloated superstructures that you know I am not much in favor of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that meant for, for the Volkswagen's original designers in Fletcher, it was quite a challenge to make the boat look at least a little bit pretty. And the new client had no thing about having it below 50 meters. So the first thing he did was lengthen the hull and stick, stick, stick a nice half peak on it. And that immediately in, improved the looks of the boat. And then we did some major recreation of interior bits here and there. We took out, uh, unfortunately, the incredible NASA-inspired uh, boat cranes that our subsidiary Akebom at the time built for the 30-foot sport fishermen. And replaced that with, with a much more rational boat crane. Um, so, and, and apart from that, the boat was a certain age, so it needed uh, some tender loving care to bring it back to stuff. Right, right. Good. You know, you said that the facility, when you when you acquired it, you wanted to just do one large project per year and, you know, take it. Nope, out. at a time. At a time. At a time. It's, even, it's, it's even less than one per year. Okay. No. So do you do you have plans now that you feel you've, you know, you've gotten the hang of things, so to speak, do you foresee perhaps taking on an extra one at a time, or do you want to just stick to the one-at-a-time approach? Uh, yeah, the, the, the nice thing about the family business is that you don't look from project to project or from quarter to quarter. You look from one generation to the next. So our time horizon is rather long. Uh, when we acquired the yacht, we made, we made a plan uh, with already a rhythm in there that we would build the first Five boats, one at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know me a little bit. Uh, yeah, when when sales has a chance to do two rather similar boats, but as a result of that, the two clients want their boats a little bit closer together. I already uh, modified it a little bit with number two and number three that are coming out now, because there is literally about a year between those two. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is number three is going to stay in the whole yard that we also own a little bit longer while outfitting work is being started there so that it comes to Macom in a more complete state than normal. However, the boat after that is a comfortable 18 months after that one and mm-hmm. currently I'm marketing the build slot for boat number 5 which again is going to be about 18 months after that one. What we have planned is to make a decision probably somewhere in 2011 and that is a good timing in hindsight because then, in my opinion, we should be coming out of this crisis around that time. Then we should make plans to make an expansion of the shipyard or maybe buy another shipyard to be able to build more large products. So we do take our time, Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, in my opinion, that is still yeah, 
but it's the only way to grow your business and stay alive and make some profit while you're growing it. Right, right. So, so the, the, that is a very long answer. The answer: Are you going to expand eventually? Is yes. Yeah, yeah. The, okay. the market will the market will support that. I'm extremely confident that there is enough demand structurally out there for big boats. Maybe not 100 meter plus. I'm 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 looking at that market with a bit of uh, yeah, skepticism is too strong, but with with care. But let us say boats up to about 3,000 gross tons, which is the limit we imposed on ourselves for that facility. There is a solid demand there, and that will remain. Very good, very good. Well, it sounds like uh, 2011 will be a, a good year for all of us to keep an eye on what you're doing. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Well, Hank, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Okay. Everyone, you're if welcome. you'd like to, if you'd like to learn more about FedShip, you can visit their website, which is www.fedship.nl. Once again, this is Diane Burns. Thanks for tuning in to Megayot News Radio. To learn more about the Megayot market, you can read my daily blog and see exclusive videos at www.megayotnews.org.